Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. All right. Well, I want to welcome everybody here tonight and everyone listening on our podcast channel. Um, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors that has the pleasure of serving here in Sebastian. I want to thank you for being here tonight. As I said, we're in a book of Exodus. We'll be in chapter 1, verse 15 is where we're going to start. But the title of this series is called um, Walking to Freedom. And as we look at this tonight, we're going to look at a couple different things. But I want to recap what we talked about two, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And that is that it was called, the teaching was called Living in Between. And that was the showing how the Hebrew people were living in between promises. Because God promised them to be a great nation, but he also said, you're going to live in oppression and slavery for 400 years. So they were in that part of the promise. They haven't received the great nation promise yet. So they were living in between. And we learned that our strength and our faith comes from waiting upon the Lord. Sometimes we get refined in that fire, sometimes, and we get burned up. But most of the time, he burns off all the bad stuff in us, and he helps us continue to grow. But just like the Israelites, they would eventually claim that promise of being a great nation. So as we get ready to start, it's Exodus 1, verse 15. There's a couple things I want us to look at tonight. It starts off with these midwives. And if you've read ahead, you know what the midwives are. But I want to ask you a question. What's the difference between the fear of God and being afraid of God? Fear, good. What is being afraid of God? Is anybody afraid of God? Right. We shouldn't be afraid of God. Some people mess that up, though. Some people don't get that. They think, oh, well, I'm afraid of God. No, you, you don't understand. It's not clear what the fear of God is. So what does it mean to fear God? You can shout out at me if you want. You can yell. Reverence. Reverence. Respect. You don't know him. No relationship. Okay. Anybody else? Because this is like interactive. You guys can yell up at me. If you want to heckle me too, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Believe me. I, when I practice at home, my teaching, Cindy heckles me. Just let you know that. So. It's okay. But it's an awe and reverence. You know, it's the opportunity to please God, to obey him. That's what it is. The Bible urges us to fear God. And why? Because the Bible says this in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Having an appropriate reverence and a holy respect for God is the beginning point of true knowledge about spiritual realities, is it not? It's a true knowledge. It's the wisdom that we need. You know, I've heard it said, and I use this, knowledge is how we take things apart, right? If we have the knowledge, we can take something apart. But wisdom is how to put it back together. We may have knowledge, but we need that wisdom. And that comes from God. In Proverbs 1.22, it says this, Fools hate knowledge and correction of any kind. They trust in themselves rather than God. A good friend of mine, he loves this scripture, and I hear him recite it all the time to me. It's almost like ingrained into me. It's Psalms 34.8, and it says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Is our Lord not good? 
as we come and taste, as we're taught the word of God, we see how good that he is. In Psalms 111, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That wisdom to put things back together, to put our lives back together. As sometimes our lives are broken, right? Before we had a relationship with Jesus Christ, before we came to him, we were lost. We were in the darkness. And then through Jesus Christ, we came out of the darkness into the light, right? When we fear God, we'll know his unfathomable wisdom and all that will become available to us. The first point I'd like to make tonight, if you're taking notes, is simply this. Cultivate an attitude of godly fear. Wisdom. Get that wisdom from God. Take that by having that relationship with him. Fearing God means having such a reverence for him that is a, has a great impact on the way you live your lives. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his discipline, and worshiping him in all. Sometimes we don't like discipline, right? When we were growing up, maybe our parents disciplined us. But you know, a good parent will discipline their children because they love them. And that's what God does for us. He loves us so much that he wants to discipline us because we might need that correction, don't we? I know I do. I need that correction a lot. Scripture is full of examples describing God as a powerful and positive and loving God. But the Bible uses the word fear over 300 times when referring to God. So it's good to have a godly attitude, and that's to fear the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open them up to Exodus 1, chapter 15, and we're going to look at two women. Actually, there's more women in this than just those two. But as we start, Exodus 1, chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Sapphira and Pew. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If it's a baby, if it's a baby boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let him live. Let her live. Now, last week we talked about what he was doing. He had them oppressed. They were in slavery and they were really beating him down. But it wasn't stopping their fruitfulness, right? They were not stopping the Hebrews from multiplying. So now we see what Pharaoh's next plan is. He's trying to stop them. So here's his plan. What is he doing? He's getting these midwives to kill the baby boys. And if this plan would have worked, he probably would have wiped out the Jewish people. You know, the Jewish girls would probably have grown up and married Egyptians. They would have had Egyptian families. And then Pharaoh's plan would have been complete. But here's a word I like, to, I like to hear. But God. But God. How many times in your life, whether it's the beginning of the story or it's the end of the story, can say, but God. But God was there. At the end of it, everything, and it was, but God did this in my life. You know, we can finish those stories or we can start those stories, 
but they all have God. And I just want you to take a moment and think about that. Think about a time when in your life when you thought things weren't going to go well or when things were going really well. Because when things are going really well, we don't look at God that much, right? Because it's, oh, it's all, I'm doing a great job, right? Everything we have comes from God. Everything. So when we think we're doing well, it's because God has blessed us. He's there. So take a moment, just think about that, that Salem moment of when you can say, but God. He was there in the midst. We don't always see that, do we? We don't always realize that, but he's always there. He's always there with us. And then in verse 17, it says this. But because the midwives feared God, but God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. Now, this might have been like the first act of civil disobedience in Scripture, right? Because they refused to obey. They refused to do this. So why did they do this? Why did they refuse to obey what their king had told them to do? I think it was because of their faith. Their faith gave them courage to not obey. These two women refused to obey the command because they feared God. They feared God over man. But you know, Scripture tells us we're supposed to obey the authorities, right? Didn't Jesus say that as well? In Romans 13, it says you're supposed to submit to these governing authorities. So why were these women not doing that? Jesus said, for there's no other authority except which God has established. Jesus said that. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of your conscience. That's a big word right there, our conscience. So what is your conscience, right? What is your conscience when it comes right down to whether something is right or something is wrong? It's an inner feeling or a voice viewed as acting as a guide of the rightness or the wrongness of one's behavior, right? It's kind of like, do you guys ever see that thing where you got one angel on the shoulder and you got the devil and you're kind of looking back and forth and you're going, I don't know which one to go with? But it's that inner prompting. You know what I call that? What do you got? The Holy Spirit. That's right. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through those inner promptings. When we don't know exactly what's going on, that's the Holy Spirit. The promptings of the Holy Spirit come as spoken to our minds as feelings, ideas, or impulses to do or not do something on how to act. And one thing I want to tell you for sure is if you're not sure who that is, who that is coming from, run it across the word of God. If you're not sure if it's the guy on this shoulder or the guy here, run it through the word of God. Check it out. Make sure that it is from God. He's speaking to you. If you're taking notes, please write this down. God communicates with us through the Holy Spirit. 
In John 10, 27, it says, Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. We will hear God's voice. He will speak to us. And those inner promptings that we have, that's the Holy Spirit guiding us and directing us. Now, these midwives, they feared God. In Proverbs 8, 13, it says this. Is, I love this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So you think these midwives, what they were doing, why they didn't do what the Pharaoh had ordered them to do? Because they hated evil because God did and they feared him. When the laws of man are contrary to the word of God, we should obey God rather than man. The midwives did this and they were in good company. Daniel did it as well, did he not? Daniel refused to eat the food. And the biggest one are the apostles. They were told not to do things, weren't they? They were told not to preach the word of God. And Jesus gave the apostles and he gave us this, the great commission, go into the world and preach, right? Make disciples, we're supposed to do that. In Acts 5.29, it says this, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. If you're taking notes, write this down. Fear God, obey him, give him the glory and leave the consequences to him. When it comes right down to it, we obey God, we fear him, and as long as we're being obedient to God, leave the consequences to him. It doesn't matter to us because we did what was right and that was obeying our God. Their example tells us that we should obey God over any authority over us if it violates the word of God. This is very clear though that we should submit to authorities. I'm not telling you not to submit to authorities because we're all under some authority, but we, and we should, realizing that God has placed them in authority. But it is very clear that if it violates the word of God, we're okay. Like Peter and John and the midwives, we're okay to obey God rather than man. In verse 18, it says this. We'll get back to the scripture. So the king of Egypt called the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And we know that, right? It was the fear of God that gave them courage to stand up. They defied this order at risk of their own lives, possibly. They could have been killed for not doing it. So I want to ask you this tonight. Do we have the courage today to stand for what's right in the eyes of God? Sometimes we're faced with situations. Do we make the right call? Do we please God or do we please man? We're called to please God. And sometimes these situations arise when we're asked to make decisions on that. So think about that. Where do you land with that? Are you pleasing God or are you pleasing man? Faith over fear of what might happen to us. Stand on your faith. Don't let fear get in the way of what we do. Stand on our faith. And now we'll see the response from these midwives in verse 19. It says, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. 
the midwives replied, they are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Well, more vigorous? They're more lively, right? I mean, they're actually, they're, they're giving birth. And in the East now, women still are, a large portion of them today are still delivering children themselves. But that was the excuse. Oh, they're doing it so quickly, we can't get there. Little truth in there, maybe a little lie in there, I'm not sure. I'm not going down the lie path tonight. I don't want to go that road, route. But you know, there was some truth in this. And it says the Hebrew women were not like the delicate Egyptian women. Not so tender and weak, they were different. And they were different. Because as Christ followers, are we not called to be different? Are we not different than the world? We are. Um, up on the screen, I have two verses in two different um, translations because I really like them. But the first one, it says, 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, you might have been called peculiar before, Probably not for this, right? But then this, I like this version in the New King James. It says this, but you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. We're special. We're different. We're not the same as the world. God's chosen and special people, we are different. You know, the word peculiar is kind of peculiar, I don't know if you've ever looked it up, but it says strange or odd, unusual. It's a special character or a group of people. One thing. So you guys are peculiar people. I mean that in a loving way. I really do. Because we're, pre Larry, you're peculiar, but I love you. We are because we're different. We're called to be different but you've probably never looked at it in that, that kind of context of being peculiar people. I look at it as the sky had a peculiar appearance before the storm, right? We see that. Or it would be rather peculiar to see a kangaroo hopping down the street here in Sebastian, Florida. That would be peculiar. But it stands out, Right? It stands out, and that's how we should be. We should stand out. We should be distinct, special, and unique because we're God's children. And that's who we should be. So let me ask you this. How does that look in your life? Are you different? Are you unique? Do you stand out? Are we peculiar? And you can say I'm peculiar because I know I am but we're different. We're called to be different than the world. And that's what Christ followers are. As we follow Jesus, we're to look different because we're not to look like the world. We're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to show the love of Christ in us to the world. And the world doesn't like that. He says, they've hated me. They're probably going to hate you, peculiar people. So we are different. Back to the scripture in verse 20, it says, so God was good to the midwives 
And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he had given them families of their own. Is God not good? All the time, right? God is good all the time. Because they feared God and they spared these children, they exposed themselves to the king's displeasure. These midwives would not offend God by murdering children. It was the fear of God which restrained them from doing that. And God rewarded them for their conduct. He rewarded their faithfulness to him and he gave them families. He dealt with the midwives and they multiplied. God blessed and honored these two women for putting their lives on the line for the Jewish nation, keeping it from extinction. Because they feared the Lord, he blessed them. You know, it's important to note that, you know, most of the midwives, most midwives were midwives because they were barren. They couldn't have kids. That's why they were midwives. And God said, I can take care of that. But God, and he took care of that. He gave them families in a very, very dangerous time. Perhaps they had all girls or he just protected them the way that he protected Moses. But God wanted to give these women his best. And God wants to give us his best as well, does he not? Tonight, God wants the best for his children. If you're taking notes, the next point is this. This blessing shows how important and precious children are to God. Children are important and precious to God. In Psalms 127.3, it says this, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. The midwives feared God, and he rewarded them with a precious gift of children. Remember that. Our children are a precious gift from God. They're a reward from him. So take care of them, love them, and watch over them. Back to verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy in the Nile River, but let the girls live. Because Pharaoh had failed to accomplish his mission through these midwives, this failure drove him to another plan, and that was open acts of violence against people. Open acts of violence against the Hebrew people, killing all the boys. He issued this command to all his subjects to throw every Hebrew boy into the river. And Pharaoh now ordered all the people in Egypt to deal with this security risk that he felt earlier on in the chapter. They were growing. They were multiplying. If something happens, they're going to come against us. We need to take care of it. His plan failed. His plan failed again. And his plan will continue to fail. This command, if it was fully carried out, would have resulted in the obvious extermination of the Hebrews. And the next point is we need to know that we're always in a war. The enemy always tries to stop the advancement of God's kingdom, does he not? He's always there trying to stop the advancement. No matter what it is, he's there. In Matthew 16, verse 18, it says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Amen? The enemy will not win. We win in the end. We know what the end of this book is, don't we? 
We know that we're victorious in Christ and we win. They didn't know that, but we do. The strength and the plots of the enemy and all his fallen angels will never prevail against the faithful believers in Christ and the church. Amen? Satan and his little minions can never overcome and stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, as we go into chapter two, we see the advancement of the kingdom and that God is going to provide leadership for his people. In verse two, chapter two, verse one, it says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. I think it's remarkable that the people in this story are all anonymous. They're not called by names, right? But you can find their names. I found them for you. So I'll let you know what they are. That was Moses' parents. His mother was Joshebed and his father was Amron. So those are the parents. And in verse two, it says, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Notice there's no name for the baby as well. There's no name there. He was a child born of oppression. But his mother saw that he was a fine child. He was no ordinary child, right? He was peculiar, maybe. But he wasn't ordinary. He was a godly child. So they hid their son for three months. And this wouldn't have been an easy task because I'm assuming there were spies everywhere. There were people that were looking all around for these Hebrew baby boys. So it wouldn't have been easy. It wouldn't have been easy for them to observe this when the cruelty of all these boys was rising up all around them and that the children were being drowned in the river. But during this time, a deliverer was born. It was God's timing. What timing is that? It's not our timing. That's not when we would have done it, right? But we're not God. But it was his perfect timing. And God had a special purpose for this baby. And it was leadership. As we see later, he will lead the people from oppression and slavery and the parents believing that this was true, they kept their son alive, defying Pharaoh at all costs. When men are plotting against the ruin of the church, God is always preparing it for salvation. Is he not? He's always there. Take your faith, stretch it and grow and take encouragement from the smallest hints from God when it comes to this. The text emphasizes faith of the mother, but in Hebrews 11.23, it says that he, command, the command, he commends both the father and the mother for trusting God. In Hebrews 11.23, it says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, but they were not afraid of the king's edict. Should we be afraid of man when it comes to God? We should not. Faith over fear. Fear the Lord, the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It must have been certainly faith that drove this couple to have normal relations, marital relationships during this time when other babies were being killed, right? Why would you want to bring 
babies into a world where this is happening. But it was their faith. And we'll see that Moses will become a great man of faith because he learned it from his godly parents. And I want to encourage you, parents, show that godliness in your lives and in your family to your children. Train them up in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. You know, Amram and Joshabed had already had two children. Miriam was the oldest, and Aaron was about three years older than Moses. You know, faith is like a verb, is it not? It's an action word. We can't just sit on it. We have to exercise that faith like a muscle to make it grow. And we need to do that. And faith says in Hebrews 11, now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. That's what they were commended for their faith, because they didn't know what was going on. They didn't see what was going to happen, but they trusted God and they had faith in him. If you're taking notes, by faith and action, live your life being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Live your life by faith, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you during this. In Hebrews eleven six, it says this pretty plain. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't please God without our faith. Now, this remarkable deliverance for Moses foreshadows the deliverance of the, the Egyptian people out of Egypt that God would later do through him. And it says this in verse three, it says, but when she hid him no longer, this is Moses, she got a basket, papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it put it along the reeds in the river bank of the Nile. His sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen. Now, his mother, I believe, she obeyed Pharaoh. She did what Pharaoh said. Now, she didn't do it to the letter of the law that he said, right? She didn't drown him, but she did put that baby in the Nile. Did she not? She put that baby in the Nile. She did that. She certainly defied his orders in the way she did it. But she purposely placed him in a section of the river where she knew the royal family was bathing. She knew that they would be there. And then she put his sister, Miriam, there. You know, she must have been probably 14 or 15 years old at that time. And she put herself in a position so she could watch the baby. And it's interesting because, you know, the daughter was put there for a reason at the distance to watch all this. And I think that the mother, Josebed, she was a woman of vision. Her plan worked. The baby was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. She was a woman of vision, but she was also a woman of the word. She was a woman of the word. Now, they didn't have this back then, right? They didn't have a Bible. But what else could explain her decision to place her son in the very river which all the other male babies were being drowned? I think if it was me, I would have been staying as far away from that as I could. Would you not? I mean, I'm staying away from that. But she didn't. And the reason I think she didn't was she trusted God. 
She trusted him. If you're taking notes, trust God. He never fails us. And the reason I say that is because I want to suggest that she knew another story. She knew a story of another godly man who was saved in a time of destruction and judgment. And I think she knew the story of Noah. I think she knew that. In Exodus 2, 3, and I got this in the King James Version because this is where the rubber kind of hits the road here. It says, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark, an ark of bulrush for him, dabbed it in asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds of the riverbank. This was no coincidence that she fashioned this basket like an ark. She put tar in it. She waterproofed it so her child would be safe. This is not by coincidence that this happened. I believe she was a woman of the word and she knew what God's word was. She knew the story of Noah and that's why she did it. She trusted God because children are a gift from God. In God's eyes, children are so important. And they all have a wonderful and unique calling. And as we talk about the river, that brings us to our next point. Next point is, immerse yourself in the word of God. Go deep down into the word of God. Let God speak to you. Believe in it. Act on it in faith. And don't be surprised if doing this, that someday that you might graze a great hero one of the gifts that God has given you. Now back to our scripture, verse five. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent for her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now we see that all her efforts that were tried to suppress the Israelites were stopped by women. Every opportunity that Pharaoh had to stop the growth and the fruitfulness was stopped by the women. The midwives, Moses' mother, his sister was there, and now we see Pharaoh's daughter getting in the mix to stop this. Women have a great role in the kingdom of God, don't they? But Pharaoh's daughter, her name was Thermutus, and she sees the baby crying, and her heart goes out to him, and has, she has compassion towards him. I want to make a note for you. This is the only place in Scripture that you will see or that talks about an infant crying. Nowhere else in Scripture does it say anything about an infant crying in scripture. Her maternal instincts told her to rescue the child and care for him. That maternal instincts, that inner prompting, who was that? It was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was working through her. And then verse seven, it says, then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get the one Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. How awesome is that? 
She gets to have her own child. She gets to nurse him. She gets to raise him. And she's going to get paid for it. Boom. You can't ask. But God can't ask for much more than that. And God used those baby's tears to control the heart of this powerful princess. And he used Miriam, his sister, to go and get his mother to arrange this. Only God could do this, right? I don't know if you've heard this phrase, as weak as a baby. That doesn't apply to the kingdom of God. For when God wants to accomplish a mighty work, he often starts by sending a baby. Does he not? He often starts by sending a baby. It was true with Isaac. It was true with Joseph. And especially true with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The last thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. God can use the weakest things to defeat the mightiest enemies. And what God did was he took a baby's tears and used them as the first weapon against Egypt. Those baby's tears were used against Egypt to free his people. Will you pray with me? Father, tonight... We fear you. It's out, of, it's out of awe. It's out of respect for who you are. You are our God. And we ask for that wisdom. We ask for that knowledge in our lives. And Father, we know you can use the tiniest things in all our lives. So Father, use us for your glory. Use us as your people to glorify you. May we tell people about the love of Christ. May we show them the love of Christ. May we live godly lives, that we live our lives out in faith, not in fear. The only fear we need to have is the fear of God. Father, help us keep our eyes focused on you. Thank you for everyone who's here tonight. Thank you for them bring, coming in here wanting to be taught the word of God. They're hungry and you're feeding them. So Father, we thank you for the many blessings. To you goes all the praise, the honor, and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of Intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.